Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Supply Chain Now. Scott Luton and Corinne Bursa with you here on The Buzz. Corinne, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good day, everybody. It's great to be here with you, Scott. It is wonderful. Uh, enjoyed the pre-show conversation, which always, you know, to your point, it's either we're talking sports or food or perhaps uh, the latest great movie or series we're watching, but uh, always something, right? It's always something. and you, you always manage to get a little food in there. And for me, I'm in the Eastern time zone. So it's just like lunchtime. I think there's a body clock working in there somewhere. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So, but we got a chock full supply chain buzz right here where Corinne and I are going to be sharing some of the leading stories across global business. So buckle up and get ready because of course, as always, we want to hear from all of our listeners as well. So Corinne, we're going to say hello to a few folks in a minute. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to a special team that's been part of our successful 2021. So today's show is produced in partnership with Azul Arc, who built our stunning new website, supplychainnow.com. Now, Corinne, as you know, they're a leader in user experience design and development of websites, but also custom software applications within the supply chain industry. So big thanks to Zaheer and the top-notch team over at Azul Arc, and you can learn more at azularc.com. Corinne, your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Um, we've had the chance to work with them on a couple of different projects, and great project management, um, a great user experience um, design-wise. So I think the fact that they not only develop websites, like corporate websites or our supplychainnow.com website, um, but that they actually... Um, develop software, you know, that gets used day in and day out for a multitude of, of different types of businesses, that um, that design team's really got a, a sharp eye and some really good recommendations on navigation and, and feedback. So uh, great to work with. Agreed. And of course, my favorite functionality that they brought to us via our website is the, the search function. You know, these days, there's a search function on everything, uh, every site, every app you have, and that really helps as we navigate through uh, close to 800 main channel episodes, but then we probably have several hundred between Tech Talk and and This Week in Business History, you name it. So that's a great uh, great tool to use. So big thanks. You can learn more at azularc.com. Now, Corinne, uh, there's one other event I want to touch on before we get going on the news. And, and, and first off, big shout out to Amanda and Jada behind the scenes for helping to make production happen. Hey, Amanda, heads up. If you can grab the link for Wednesday's live stream, I want to pop that in the comments here in just a minute, the one featuring Esker. We'll touch on that in a second. But, uh, Corinne, today is National Ice Cream Day. Yes, nice. that's, a, that's, a, that's a real thing. Now, one of my favorites, and we touched on this in the This Week in Business History podcast that dropped today, is Cherry Garcia. That, um, mm. um, is ben that a Ben and Jerry's? Yeah, yeah. Ben and Jerry. Yeah. Thank you very much. Now, that was named, what I love about that is, is several things. 
First off, it was suggested to them by a customer. So they listened to their customers. That's where that came from. That's where their uh, best-selling chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, all came from the consumers. But also, you know, they would they named that, of course, af- after the Grateful Dead lead singer, Jerry Garcia. And try to do a podcast where you're talking Cherry Garcia and Jerry you get mixed <laughs> up quick. But they reached out to him when he was – I think he, he passed probably – I want to say about 20 years ago or so. Anyway, they they rolled ice cream out when he was still with us, and they they asked him for his comment. Well, evidently, he was a big fan, and he he his through his PR agent, he said, as long as no one names a motor oil after me, I'm pretty much good to go. So it's good good ice cream. So <laughs> <laughs> so Corinne, question for you, and question for all of our listeners. We're gonna say hello to a few folks in a second. What is your favorite ice cream? And if you want to add where you get it, we'll welcome that too. So Corinne, how about you? Um, I would say pralines and cream. So I, I like the the pralines in there, the nuts that are in there, and then that caramely kind of twist with the vanilla. I like it. Sold. Sold. <laughs> one, more, one more fun comment about the ice cream industry, which I found out over the weekend. So Penn State University uh, has had an ice cream class that's been very popular since 1925 uh ben and jerry both took a five dollar correspondence course with this class which they use to get the uh to get their business going but it's a who's who in terms of who's who's been a part of that class baskin robbins haagen-dazs um if not the founders they send their team members to to uncover the science of making great ice cream How, how cool is that so if you're a nittany lion beyond you know good strong uh academics and, and collegiate uh, athletic programs, you're evidently a titan in the ice cream industry, Corinne. That's crazy. That's one of those things I was not aware of. I wouldn't have, <laughs> I would not have known that there was an ice cream specialty at any university. So. It, really, it really is funny. Um, all right. So let's get a couple of, uh, we're going to say hello and acknowledge and some of these. some flavors? Yes. Okay. That's right. <laughs> So, of course, Peter Bole, All Night and All Day, is back with us. Peter, hope this finds you well. It's great to have you here. Max Gomez is with us once again. Max, great to see you via LinkedIn. Uh, uh, Ro Alina, she was with us um, a week or two ago, and I double-checked her name then. I got it right, but I think I got it wrong that time. So so let me know. It's either Rolene or Roeline. So so correct us, and, and let me make sure I get that right. But Thank you for joining us here today from South Africa. Tempest is back with us. She was with us last week, Corinne. I don't know if you recall. Good morning. We have to get the story behind her name at some point. You know, Tempest in a teapot or where did that come from, Tempest? (laughs) Excellent question. Tempest, please fill us in. Sylvia, of course, back with us uh, from the holy city of Charleston, South Carolina via LinkedIn. Great to see you. And she says, Mint chocolate chip. Nice. I like it. Now, yep. I believe that is one of the, there's a handful of flavors that is our predominant favorites uh, across ice cream lovers everywhere. I believe mint chocolate chip is one of them. Are you a fan, Corinne? I'm a fan. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Tempest, <laughs> Tempest kind of up your alley. Butter pecan, which yep. I love. And I don't know about you. I say that pecan sometimes. I say pecan sometimes. I'm not sure what the right, right way of saying it is, but she likes that and, and or pralines and creams. I'm with you. Bluebell, Bluebell uh, Creamery. Bluebell. Yep. yep. They also attended the Penn State ice cream class. Ah. Peter Bollet, Heavenly Hash. I think that's a Ben and Jerry's flavor too. I think it is. 
or at least that's the first place I ever tasted heavenly hash. Now, how about this? Erlene says blueberry cheesecake. That sounds delicious, huh? It does sound good. <laughs> and, and it counts as a fruit, right? Because then I could have, I'm just having a bowl of blueberries. That's all. <laughs> right. Max says chocolate from Haagen-Dazs. That's a very popular one. Uh, now, Tempest says she got her name from the Cosby Show. It's Vanessa from the Cosby Show's real name. I was born oh. a month after it came out. I love that. Very good. Memorable. Man, what a show, too. My, my favorite episode of that show is uh, where the Cosby kids sing the Ray Charles classic, um, oh, yeah. Night and Day, I think is the title of it. That's at least yeah. a refrain. And they're kind of up the staircase. And then Rudy comes out in the sunglasses, and she's got this solo. And it just it is such a classic sitcom moment. But Tempest, great to have you here. Okay. So, Corinne, we got to stop talking ice cream for a second because we're getting okay. everybody hungry, right? That's it. Get me hungry anyway. How's that? <laughs> so, I want to offer up this uh, live stream. We this class almost said it's like I'm, I'm still thinking class. ice cream class. Ice cream. <laughs> this live stream. Grab a bag of ice cream and join us for this next <laughs> webinar. <laughs> That's right. Oh gosh. So, our live stream this Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern Eastern time. We're bringing together uh, LSQ and Esker, and we're going to be talking about creative ways of finding working capital in this new landscape mm. we're, we're experiencing and, and living through. So y'all join us 12 noon. You can register. If you want to get a reminder for this, you can find, I think, well, Amanda's already beat me to it. She dropped a link to the LinkedIn um, uh, show uh, in the comments. You can go there. You can register it. That way you get a reminder. And of course, we would welcome your comments as we work through the live stream. Allison, Krejci Giddens will be joining me as a co-host uh, on Wednesday. Corinne, have you met Allison yet? I have not met Allison, but I have heard great things. Oh, um, so I'm, I'm glad she's able to, to join on that. I, you know, Scott, I don't think that our, um, our community, our supply chain now community knows how much we count on them to be engaged in these live streams, right? And bring their point of view. It really brings a lot of energy to the table. And as you know, as folks who do this on a regular basis, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It makes it so much more interesting for us. And I think it makes it more interesting for the audience as well. That's a, such, a, such a great point. I mean, those, that's the best part of the live stream, quite frankly, not taking right. anything yeah. away from our guests, but the folks that show up in the comments and whether they're informative, been there, done that comments or the sense of humor that so many folks bring to the table. So that's a great call out. <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, I want to grab just a couple more comments, and we're going to dive into our first story. Simon is back with us. Simon, hope this finds you well. He says he doesn't have a sweet tooth. I'd rather have crackers and cheese, to be honest. Hey, that resonates with me. I'm, I'm a big savory um, snack individual. Corinne, how about you? Um, I, I do like salty. I'll take salty over sweet any day. But, okay. uh, <laughs> but. You know, I can be tempted with some pralines and cream now that we're talking about it. <laughs> I can so. too. And cheesecake and pecan pie. <laughs> oh, it all. But Simon, most importantly, great to have you back. Hope this finds you well. Hope you're having a great close to your uh, 2021. David is back with us via LinkedIn. Happy Monday, everyone. David, hey, let us know where you're taking your Jeep to. Uh, or maybe, maybe where you took it this past weekend. I know you do a lot of off-roading and great to have you back here today. Okay, so one more. Uh, one, one fail, one folly, perhaps. Um, regardless, welcome. Uh, watching live from Botswana, she says via LinkedIn. So great to have you here. Look forward to your perspective. 
All right, so Corinne, are we ready to dive into the news of the day? Absolutely. Okay, so let's start. We've got an interesting story, um, albeit really expected news coming out of the foods industry. That's where we're going to start here today. So, Corinne, according to this story via uh, Patrick Thomas in the Wall Street Journal, Tyson Foods is set to spend some, get this, $1.3 billion over the next three years to automate some of its production. Now, mm -hmm. in the short term, the company plans to spend over $500 million in 2022 to address some of the most hands-on aspects of production. One of the company's chief executives, Donnie King, said on an investor's call here recently, quote, it's a very simple approach. Here's a takeaway the more difficult, higher turnover jobs, end quote. So for important background, Tyson is the biggest U.S. chicken producer and provides about 20% of the chicken we consume in the U.S. Deboning chicken, I mean, just think of that. The phrase itself conjures up plenty of, plenty of thoughts. What's very labor-intensive, but it's also very dangerous, right? Um, it is, yes. And that's been the focus of a lot of Tyson's automation initiatives uh, going back a couple years now. Plus, mm -hmm. the pandemic and the competitive labor environment has made it very difficult to fully staff plants to meet the heightened demand. You know, every, everybody and their brother and sister is demanding chicken these days. You got chicken sandwich wars that truly, I mean, kidding aside, they factored into the demand for chicken. Yep. A company has said this initiative is targeting those hard to fill roles and will provide current workers with other positions and opportunities. So, the last time, Corinne, and I'm going to get your take here in a second. Last time we spoke about food processing automation, I think it was with Tyson a few months back. The companies involved were concerned, one of their concerns was overall yield losses, right? Mm -hmm. Clearly, that's been addressed, but I'm also sure my hunch would be that the business case for proceeding with the, an even bigger automation play has gotten stronger on a variety of levels. So, Corinne, your thoughts here. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. It's it's an impressive investment at 1.3 billion. I think that's over a three-year period of time. Um, but the real kicker when you read through the article is that Tyson expects to save about 450 million by the end of 2024. So the ROI on this investment is gonna return pretty quickly. That, that will come from both reduced labor costs but also from the increased revenue or as demand for chicken, as you were saying, continues to grow over time. I believe, Scott, that they're planning something like a dozen new plants over the next two years as well. So um, just you know, a couple of data points. It's, it's interesting that, that this article came up because I was having a conversation late Friday about Tyson in particular and the investment. Um, and I know the expectation is it'll be 1.3 billion. I bet by the time all is said and done, it's going to be even higher than that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and, I, and I would add, uh, uh, some of the news that came out last week was Tyson is getting uh, is, is ramping up its bonus program, rewarding the employees that stuck with them this year, uh, oh, nice. which is, is, is really cool. In fact, Amanda yeah. said, hey, did you hear about this? Matt, that it really, that is such a, um, a challenging industry. It's challenging work, and it's great to see um, – you know, companies give back and hit that bottom line, especially this time of year. So we'll be keeping Absolutely. our finger on the pulse. Man, just think, if we can use automation to debone chicken uh, uh, in, a, in an excellent manner, just imagine all the other uh, things that we can automate and, and keep people safe 
while providing other opportunities. So I'm going to take a couple of quick comments here before we move to the next story. Hey, I appreciate this from David. He says, Allison Giddens is amazing. She's been down both sides of the business and has fantastic insights and opinions. David, I'm with you and uh, tune in Wednesday <clears throat> where you'll be able to hear. And, and beyond all that, Corinne, she's like a, she's a humorist slash comedian. So, right. and a good one at that. So we'll see. Uh, he also, you know, I was just asking David about where he's been taking his Jeep. I didn't even stop to think. Yeah, there's snow on the there's snow everywhere <laughs> up in Canada probably right now. <laughs> David, that image of you of your dirty Jeep after a uh, off road session just sticks right here. So it's always springtime between my ears, right? Uh, well, and, and David, I think Atlanta it's going to be like 68, 69 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit today. Right. So still plenty of mudding to be done. That's right. That is right. T squared who holds down the Fort Force over on YouTube. He's on a cleanse right now. <laughs> I think we just violated a HIPAA act. I don't know, Corinne. I'm sorry, T-Squared. sorry. Hey, I need to be on a cleanse. I'm with you, T-Squared, so maybe you can share and we can uh, benchmark a little bit. <clears throat> Otherwise, he says he'd be smashing some fudge ripple ice cream right now. Yeah. So all kidding aside, Peter makes a great point here. Um, you know, we're just talking, you know, different temperatures. It's It's been a crazy really crazy past week and, and really a um, crazy weather wise, but really devastating from a, a, a family and, and law standpoint. So Peter makes a great call out wants to extend his thoughts and prayers, all those affected by the tornadoes over the weekend. And he, he points out the, the images that showed the destruction. Oh my goodness. It, it is. It really, it, it just gives you goosebumps when you, when you see some of the images and, um, it, did I read correctly, uh, Peter or, or Scott, that it's the longest um, distance right. that tornadoes have traveled, you know, making contact that we've recorded. So you something did. as far as 200 miles. Did I hear that correctly? It, it could, from what I read, and I'm certainly no meteorologist, but it could be up to 250 miles. They're still digging oh, through the no. data to confirm it wasn't multiple tornadoes. But okay. uh, the track goes through four states, and there's only been a handful of, certainly only a handful of December storms that done, have done the same thing. But in general, only a handful of storms that last have lasted that long. Um, mm. In terms of the modern data science, it goes into you know, meteorology, uh, different scales and, and, and measurements. So, but the the images, as you and Peter both speak to, it 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 really you had to sit down to digest yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah. so we, we shall six states, Peter says. So instead of four states, they went through six states. That is just, um, horrible news. So, oh yeah, definitely a lot more to come out of it as they confirm and hope mm -hmm. the numbers don't get any worse, but, um, you know, thoughts and prayers are with all the families and coworkers and all these towns that are experience, experiencing so much loss. So, um, I appreciate you mentioning that Peter. Okay, on a much, much lighter note, I want to say uh, hello, Marlo. Greeting from tech, uh, Dallas, Texas via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Um, so let's, uh, I want to move from the Tyson Foods automation story, which I think is really intriguing, to um, a story about how Amazon has emerged kind of as a trendsetter when it comes to workforce compensation. Crazy yep. times we're living in. So uh, now this shouldn't, Really like the last story. This shouldn't really surprise anyone. And I'm not really crazy about any 
anytime you're talking about workers, how you use the phrase low skilled, I think that's that's poor practice. Anyway, mm -hmm. that aside, uh, Amazon, which is the nation's second largest private employer, is heavily influencing the labor market on a variety of levels. So this article via Wall Street Journal um, talks about really a wide variety of markets, but one in particular it points out is Cincinnati, right? Home of Skyline Chili, home of the yep. Reds, home of, uh, let's see here, the Reds and the Bengals, right? I don't think they've got yeah. an NBA team. Last check. But anyway, Amazon's advertising here in Cincinnati is on buses, billboards, even ads on iPhone games. One employer in the area, uh, as, as the article points out, they've done everything they can, raising wages and implementing bonuses, amongst other things, to better compete with Amazon's mm -hmm. voracious appetite for talent. Other employers in other markets are looking to provide more flexibility, uh, lighter workloads, Corinne, and other perks to better compete for that talent. And, yep. you know, while um, Cincinnati could be a more unique of a market when it comes to um, the Amazon effect, so to speak, because of that big air hub that Amazon put in um, mm -hmm. to the airport a couple years back. But you see it in Los Angeles. You see it in the Austin, Texas area. We certainly see it in the Atlanta area. It is, you know, that Amazon effect, which has been cliche for years now, man, is really coming to bear in the labor market. And we all see the commercials too. It's, it's fascinating. Corinne, what are some of your thoughts here? Yeah, so I, I think labor is going to be a, a continuing theme, Scott, in, in the months and months ahead still. There, we're seeing the, the impact of, of constraints in the labor market just about everywhere. Um, but uh, this Amazon effect, certainly, as, a, as an employer of choice, if you will, they've got the scale to, um, to offer employees some things that smaller businesses uh, are, you know, are, are hampered in, in delivering. So uh, they've done some bonuses and other things. One of the things that was interesting in the article um, is that they talked about Amazon actually um, setting up some, some mock fulfillment centers yep. in high schools. Right. Right. So that they can actually train or start training um, some students that might be candidates to come to work for Amazon which I think is brilliant. Um, I, I think it's a brilliant strategy. I think it could actually raise the bar on the skill sets of employees that are entering the marketplace, just like doing training for Apex, like you did so many years ago, right? right? Just introducing students to those concepts. Um, but think about the technology that's used in an Amazon um, distribution center on everything from barcode scanners to the routing and technology and the PIC technology. So the article may have called them low-skill workers, but honestly, I think it's an opportunity for us to change how we think about um, employees that are um, working in those distribution centers, even with the automation and with robots. Um, there's some pretty interesting things they can get exposed to coming out of high school with some um, some knowledge base in that area. Yes, I agree. And you know, on Amazon's behalf, it is it's brilliant, and it's and mm -hmm. I love the uh, I love anytime you're engaging the next generation because uh, even if they never they don't go into supply chain, you're still opening doors and and lines of thinking, areas of thinking which um, may may create other eureka moments. But yep. to, to be devil's advocate for a second, what I'm hoping that um, school, especially schools, right? I'm hoping that they allow you know they don't they don't get uh, stars in their eyes because they're they're working and collaborating with Amazon, and they also give the same opportunity 
to other industries and companies that may not have the same uh, wherewithal, right? So that we keep a, mm -hmm. a nice balanced approach to what students and, and potential practitioners are exposed to. But I, I think, you know, as you and I have gone into schools and presented Supply Chain 101, which yep. um, was kind of a more of a general approach. We touched on chocolate supply chain, automotive mm -hmm. supply chain, just really to plant those seeds. Uh, uh, and it's, it's amazing. I think you and I had similar takeaways, just how smart and advanced and how exposed, meaning in, in a good way, um, yep. th that these kids are these days. Sa very savvy, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I spent probably about 12 years as a junior achievement coach as well. So that goes kind of elementary school and into um, middle school, depending upon if, if um, you know, middle school includes sixth grade. Yeah. And even that you can put a supply chain spin on because there are a lot of, of, you know, business lemonade stand ideas, raw material and movement to market. So I do think if we can help the students tie these things together, that it just changes the way they think. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by the talent pool of, of students who are in elementary, middle school, and high school. I'm hoping that COVID, you know, hasn't had a negative impact for, you know, the last two years. So that's something that we'll have to just keep an eye out for and look at opportunities to close those gaps if needed. Excellent point. So going back, y'all check out this article. It's, it it uh, is a deep dive in some of the uh, impact Amazon's having on the labor market. All right. Now the, the flip side on that, Scott, before you go to the next yeah. story is, you know, last week we got the inflation numbers and inflation is like at a 40 year high for the US, right? right? So it's at 6.8% nationally. And that raises the price of everything from chicken, from food to gas to, you know, housing or any other materials that you're looking at. But the US Bureau of Labor Statistics right you know, is saying we're probably going to be at this level until we get through this supply chain crunch, basically. Um, so uh, we just all need to keep that in mind. It's, it's, it's really a ripple effect on higher wages, less talent in the market or less available resources in the market, and then the many, many constraints that we're all dealing with on a daily basis. So since, uh, yes, that is, that is not good news that we're all experiencing right now. And unfortunately, there's a little bit of more, uh, a little bit more uh, yep. bad news when it comes to ocean carrier reliability, which has been hitting some really rough patches here lately. Shippers, Corinne, as you're going to tell us about, they're looking at a wide variety of alternatives, right? They are looking at a wide variety of alternatives. I'm not, I wasn't surprised by this article because it's been so top of mind for all of us in supply chain when it comes to the import-export, um, you know, operations right now. Uh, but they did a survey. This comes to us from uh, Alejandra Salgado. Um, I apologize if I got your name wrong, but um, with Supply Chain Dive. Uh, but it, it's a great piece that just um, hits some of the recent metrics. So they did a survey of more than 60 car carriers that um, served 34 trade lanes and found that performance, a reliability performance, is at 34.4%. Wow. That's, that's abysmal. That's terrible. But you know what, Scott? It's actually slightly better than what we were seeing in September. So... Um, I think it was as low as 33.6% in September. So we've seen a, a slight move in the right direction. Right. Um, but you can see this chart on what historic performance looks like. Right. So 
um, we've got a really deep hole to dig out of. And as we get through these constraints and areas of, you know, the containers, right? Empty container placements, full container placements, all kinds of just equipment that is out of sync right now. And it's going to still take us months and months to recover. Yes. Uh, and you're right. If I got my protractor out, uh, I w- we could we could probably pinpoint about a uh, I don't know about a seven degree <laughs> increase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're, we are to your point moving in the right direction. But man, holy cow, yeah. have they been yeah. uh, experiencing some challenges here, right? And this th- this let's all just kind of keep in mind that this was before the announcements that the Biden administration. Um, made where they were trying to, you know, open 24-7 operations and do some things. Um, So we really haven't seen any benefit in these numbers yet. Um, Hopefully we'll see that in the November and December numbers. So I'm, you know, uh, it's going to be a while before they're back to historic performance uh, levels. But, um, you know, (laughs) at this point, 1%, 2%, 10% is going to make a huge difference in, in what we see as consumers but in the headaches and problems that that our listeners have to grapple with on a daily basis. Right. And I saw a couple of things over the weekend, speaking of ports and, and the West Coast ports. Um, on one hand, I, I saw someone report there's uh, either 30 or 40 ships now down from, I think, as many as 100 waiting to over be offloaded. Right, yeah. over 100. Yeah. Yep. But the flip side, uh, I saw someone else report uh, that the ships are just slowing down and they're and they're they're also anchoring further off so that, that they're not rolled up into that number. So I don't know, you know, I don't know, um, but it really it is uh, it's amazing. But hey, kudos to all you talk about folks that that uh, hardworking people, um, yep. much like in these fulfillment centers, ports. That is not um, you know in the Air Force I, uh, is my only time ever working with containers uh, from an air cargo standpoint. That is tough work. No matter if it's you're loading it in a um, KC-135, or if you're loading it in a, you know, off coming off a ship and onto a, um, a trailer, it is tough, tough work. So we'll see. We'll keep our finger on the pulse as we continue to monitor the progress of getting unclogged, right? Yeah. And as you mentioned that from kind of loading into planes as well, you know, the, the article, I think, pointed out, Scott, um, that there has been an increase in, in air freight by about 3%. Yep. Um, just trying to get some of that, some of those goods, um, you know, on to the U.S. shores or wherever uh, so that they can get them into market. But that's a very expensive alternative. Agreed. Uh, and guess what? We got a little bit more uh, challenging set of circumstances coming. The yeah. year of the tiger, Corinne, is coming up starting February 1st, 2022. Of course, we're talking about Chinese New Year. That's yep. going to impact global business each year, as it always does, because it's one of the yep. biggest holiday celebrations in the entire world. Factory production, shipping challenges are going to definitely come, as always. So um, let I want to call out a couple of quick comments here. Uh, see, Rolene goes back to what uh, Amazon was doing in high schools, wonderful youth development and exposure to supply chain. I'm with you. I completely agree with you there. Um, Sylvia, the last 20 months have been brutal in the ocean container market. Now she, she should know. It. She knows it. Yeah. Right. She, she, yeah. she is a leader in getting stuff moved. Uh, and mm-hmm. is also very familiar with the, the continued growth of the Charleston port of Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, lucky ask a question. I'm not sure which decline out of, uh, what, out of what you were sharing, Corinne, what you may have, um, 
Uh, oh, I think he was talking about the overall reliability. Overall, yeah, declines. I think you went into yeah. some Lucky, I wish I knew one thing for you, but I, I do think it's been a snowball effect of, of um, you know, port availability, container moves. Um, you know, we, we have had a continued problem on the West Coast of the United States in the California ports, which which handle the majority of goods that are coming in from Asia in particular yep. um, for about four months, maybe five months. I bet Sylvia knows um, just off the top of her head. Uh, but uh, um, it's been just getting worse and worse. And we saw just the just a little improvement there in reliability right. uh, that, that the article mentioned. Well, David's already breaking his crystal ball. <laughs> he says, Sylvia, I don't see it changing in the next 20 months either. So uh, that's probably a pretty accurate uh, prediction, David. Um, all right. So y'all check out uh, great, great work as always at Supply Chain Dive. I want to jump, you know, kind of along those lines. I want to tee up this mm -hmm. next story because you're kind of in your response to Lucky, you're kind of. Uh, talking about the perfect storm that goes into, you know, the roll up of a variety of factors that goes into, you know, some of these singular things we track. Yeah. Well, this was a great article uh, talking it about the warehousing, the warehousing crunch in Southern California, right? Yeah, it is. And so Matt Garland did this, um, wrote this article for, um, again, Supply Chain Dive. What I like about it is there are seven charts in there. Like we have pulled out one chart here for discussion today. I like the way this article just shows the interconnection, interconnection between a number of different factors that are related to some of the port challenges that were talked about with regards to um, ocean uh, reliability. So um, it's not just that the port of Los, Los Angeles and Long Beach, you know, have significant backups associated with them. That has a rippling effect that is impacting um, almost all supply chain operations in California today. So the chart that we pulled out here is from the California Employment Development Department. And if you look at the red bar on this, it is really highlighting the number of open positions for warehouse and distribution center workers. So something like 123,440, I think, open positions which is substantial, but look at some of these other categories as well. Uh, personal care aides, um, 108,000 open positions, retail salespeople, uh, over almost 67,000 open positions, uh, tractor trailer drivers, almost 41,000. So you can just see in all of these areas of you know retail selling goods as well as um, uh, our ship, our, our, um, excuse me, our uh, drivers, tractor trailer drivers that are going to move those across the country. You know, there's just so many challenges in, um, you know, attracting and retaining talent, which goes back to that Amazon uh, story that we were just talking about right. as well. So um, lots of lots of things coming together. Labor is certainly um, kind of front and center across all of these areas. And we're going to need, I don't care how much automation we get, right? I, I think automation, like the Tyson story, automation is going to be important. But we're still going to need people and buildings um, and, and, you know, to, to complement what can be automated in the process. Agreed. Agreed. Um, 
So, folks, this article that we're speaking to, I'm going to back up and I can share it. This is, I'm going to tell you, um, the calls I get to talk about supply chain, I'm going to start just pointing them to articles like this because it really speaks yep. to um, the balancing balancing act that's required to break through uh, some of the issues we're seeing. Corinne, and, and I, I want to add a couple thoughts here, but um, my one of my favorite pastors of all time called me on Saturday because he was factoring supply chain into his sermon. Really? And yes, I was. I, I was so honored. I was over the moon because he's one of our me and Amanda's favorite people of all time, and it was good to spend some time. But it really, I, when I hung up, it was like, man, you know, it's one thing to see supply chain in commercial jingles. It's one thing to, to hear your kids talking about it, but when our men and women of faith want to include it in their messages to their congregations, that is pretty cool, right? That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> right. So, yeah. As I was challenge, as I was speaking though, uh, that article really illustrates balancing acts required: high demand for warehouse space, low vacancy and availability. You got current warehouses that are clogged with volume. I think yep. "clogged" is going to be our word of the hour, perhaps. Um, adding to dwell time for truckers, which then rolls right over into burnout and turnover in the labor market. You got new warehouse construction pace, which we'll have to check in with Ward Richmond. He's our go-to for supply chain real estate. That slowed down for, due to a number of different factors, so that adds to the overall issues. Mm -hmm. But to your point, Corinne, I love this one quote. Uh, Dale Young, who is Vice President of Warehousing Distribution at World Distribution Services, no sponsorship. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm calling it out because I like it. Uh, Dale says, quote, there's only so many robots you can buy. You're still right. going to need to People, people and buildings, and you're going to have to give them a career. In yep. quote, yep. And that, I mean, again, these stories, although we didn't think it at the time, they're all very interrelated, or there's a common thread through them. Um, and you know, when it comes to construction of new or additional warehouse space, that's not something that can happen overnight. And I know they've seen several delays. Again, raw material delays labor delays coming in that are stretching those timelines out by another 12 to 18 months. So longer than it normally would have taken or a pre-COVID would have taken to do construction of additional distribution centers. So again, that snowball effect um, or the inner connectivity and relations between all of these um, different areas of the supply chain are really you know, gonna, gonna continue to play out um, I hope, David, it's not another 20 months, but I do think <laughs> it is going to take us a good part of 2022 just to unwind where we are. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Of course, Lucky talks about the influx of orders. Absolutely. That's that's one of the numerous factors, right? So that's a good call out, uh, Lucky. Um, now, Sylvia says, extremely complex issue. If I can offer one silver lining, the port communities are looking for cohesive and inclusion with all parties involved with the movement of cargo, we're seeing vast mm -hmm. improvements on the East Coast, along with yep. alternative solutions on the West Coast. That is expert input, and I know that um, you know more comprehensive visibility and collaboration amongst all parties that and our, and our all uh, stakeholders that that depend on port operations. That's that's an area where American ports evidently are are behind in other parts of the world. So, Sylvia. I think we got the right people on the job with, with folks like you and many others. So we, we value what you do. Uh, Rolene says, I agree, Corinne. Bottlenecks at each link in supply chain, snowballs and ripples are felt globally. Yeah. 
our average port delays is between five and 22 days. And Rolene, if you'd clarify, is that, that's what you're seeing uh, in South Africa, or is that what you're, is that kind of more of a general uh, uh, range there? Tempest says, I'd love to hear this sermon. <laughs> well, you know what? So if Amanda can indulge me, we're talking about Reverend Trenton Dockery, one of our favorite people of all time. Amanda, I'd love if you can copy that that live stream from uh, Grayson United and drop it in comments. Hey, you got to give the people what they want. So Tempest, uh, I agree with you. He's uh, he's wonderful. Okay, so Corinne, we had just kind of wrapped on this seven charts show Southern California's warehousing crunch. Check it out again via our friends at Supply Chain Dive. They do great work there. Um, and yes, Rolene, thank you. That's what they're seeing in South Africa. I really appreciate that. And like he says, that is insane. That range at five to 22 days, you bet. It's very, I mean, it's very real. So in North America, we're seeing, um, supply inbound supplies being delayed by as little as two times normal, um, to as much as, um, I believe the last number I saw was five or six times. So in, in days, um, that could go from a couple of weeks to now six months still. So um, especially around some of these construction materials, some of the durable goods that are coming in, um, those, um, the, those timelines are crazy. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So y'all check it out. Good stuff from the Wall Street Journal and Supply Chain Dive here today. But Corinne, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. Uh, and talking about Tech Talk, which is a podcast on the move, digital supply chain podcast. Uh, last week, in the most recent podcast we dropped, was all about a very popular and well-received first yeah. part of six strategies for greater supply chain resilience. And maybe we can drop a link to this as well. We're going to be Link City here today in the comments, Amanda. But you can also find Tech Talk, digital supply chain podcast, wherever you get yours from. Uh, talk to us about maybe a couple highlights from this and then give us a snapshot of what's to come. Yeah, this this has been a really popular topic um, and it is a, it's a two-parter. And I would just encourage everyone to, to listen through to all six levers, if you will, six things that you can do. We've talked about a few of them here, um, but again, how interrelated they are, um, strategies that are changing with companies that have have focused their sourcing and production in Asian operations and now are looking at multi-sourcing opportunities, which may be more expensive for them, but will help to mitigate some of the risk over time. Um, so, and they'll come into other ports, maybe have the opportunity to come into some of those East Coast ports instead of all West Coast ports as well. So um, just lots of, of good um, ideas and material in there, um, some good references to research if you're interested in diving in a little deeper. Uh, but that that particular episode or those two episodes have gotten some really positive um, feedback on. So thank you very much to everyone who has listened to them. And if you haven't listened to them, I'm hungry for listeners. So please get <laughs> out there and subscribe. Check it out. Uh, and can you, and you might not yet uh, be able to and, and, and let the cat out of the bag. Can you talk to us about your next podcast you're releasing? Yes, I can actually, because it's going to release tomorrow. So the the fantastic team here at Supply Chain Now is is doing all the final prep for that, and uh, it will get released tomorrow. Um, and it's a first time point of view from uh, Monica Trillish, who is with Infor, and um, what she takes us through is kind of interesting because her focus is is on 
increasing transparency versus visibility. So you're going to have to listen in to, to understand what that means, but a number of really good examples of what transparency can bring in a network versus simply visibility. Yep. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Um, and thank you, Stacy. I hope this finds you well. Great to have you back with us here on LinkedIn. Uh, is going to check that out, Tempest. Appreciate that. Definitely going to subscribe. Hey, I appreciate you, you doing that. Um, <laughs> I, so we got through all of our stories earlier than expected. So I want to I want to pose a question out and get y'all uh, get your take. Um, but also want to hey Amanda, drop <laughs> Trenton's sermon in the links. Uh, if Tempest want to take a look. Let's do that. He is he's such a talented talented um, individual. Um, all right, so here's the question. As gosh, it's December thirteenth, twenty twenty one already, Corinne. So I want to th throw this question out there to to all of our listeners. Um, you know, what's one of your highlights for the year? Whether it's a mm -hmm. personal accomplishment, whether it's a per, um, a professional accomplishment, whether it's something your company did, whether it's someone you admire out in industry. Right? We were talking about how Tyson Foods in a record year found a way to give back um, and really wrote that check to so many members of its workforce and continue to do so. What's what's one of your highlights for this year? So Corinne, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Is that as well, you, I, you, you can put me on the spot whenever, <laughs> whenever you'd like. <laughs> so what, what's your, but, um, yeah. One of the things, so, so I guess two factors, one, I think um, employee appreciation is at the highest level it's ever been. So I think as employers look at their talent, um, they are valuing that talent very differently today than they did 36 months ago. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I, yeah. I think that it, it, it brings, you know, it makes, it makes the employee feel better, right? And, and that they're respected and appreciated for the work that they're doing. Um, so I, I think that that's been really interesting to see. So I like some of the changes that have taken place um, throughout the industry in different roles um, in, in the area of just, um, you know, retaining employees and doing some of the right things to retain uh, talent in an organization. The other is, you know, is something that's near and dear to my heart, Scott, and that's all around the digital supply chain and just seeing the benefits that are coming from better supply chain planning, right? In leveraging artificial intelligence or machine learning or analytics to help every employee, every planner in the supply chain be more productive. So whether we're doing things like rationalizing a product portfolio to make sure we get more efficient production, or we are adopting to new demand patterns, you know, takeout versus in restaurant dining, for example. Right. Um, I, I think that, you know, we're going to continue to see really big advances in the digital planning um, as the market finds a new normal. Um, I don't think we'll go back to the way people shopped and dined and, um, you know, in a variety of other activities prior to COVID, but I think we'll be looking for new patterns overall and have to align our supply chains to be truly multi-channel, omni-channel in the way uh, many, many businesses go to market. Excellent point. Uh, so, so many uh, on those two that you shared. Um, I want to share it. Lucky, this is a great um, call out here. Transparency versus visibility, because those are two very 
big different things. So Lucky, I appreciate you being with us here today and dropping your knowledge. Uh, Transparency versus visibility. That's a whole, um, I've just started to go to, when I saw that pop in, my mind started to go down that rabbit hole because there's so much there. There's so much there Mm -hmm. in that trying to balance that equation. Uh, Let's see. Well, listen in. Tech Talk publishes tomorrow. It'll take you through that. That's right. Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast from. AJ, hey, appreciate that. AJ has subscribed to Tech you, Talk. AJ. That is wonderful. Um, let's see here. I'm going to share Sylvia. Sylvia says employee appreciation should be a daily occurrence. Been doing that for 30 plus years, not just during the time of crisis. Completely agree. Uh, Sylvia, it should be part of the culture, part of the pattern, part of uh, part of what you do day in and day out. We all, I, I think it's probably fair to say, we probably all don't do enough of it. I know I, I certainly mm-hmm. could do a lot more. Uh, it, you get caught up in the moment of getting production and meeting milestones, all this stuff, yep. and you forget to thank, especially really meaningfully thank the people that, that make that happen. So a lot of good stuff there. Thank you, Sylvia. Peter says, mine is Meeting all you great folks from supply oh, chain now. How about Peter, that? You are the best. So many, <laughs> Check in the mail, Peter. <laughs> so many new connections made through your platform. Thank you. Made a transition year, became productive and, and joyful after retiring in May 2020. After, I want to say, I always get this wrong, Peter, but uh, a couple of decades, I'll, I'll call it with Air Canada. We enjoyed mm-hmm. have, have enjoyed talking with Peter. Several appearances and recorded podcasts he says, participated in, allowed for me to share my experiences and thoughts. And well, of course, the Skybox here. Peter, you're a regular contributor and we have enjoyed your perspective. On that note, we're going to keep Amanda and Jada and the team busy today. Let's find Peter's episode where he and I chatted through some of his experiences. And let's drop that in the comments as well, if we could. Stacy, I should say my highlight has been the progression of digital procurement. Work nice. is so much easier. Now, Stacy, I'm assuming you're a procurement professional, and I love that perspective. I love when we can make, especially the blocking and tackling, easy so that we can allow our colleagues and team members and professionals to move to more value added, uh, where they're you know bringing their expertise to bear. So I love mm-hmm. that. But on the flip side, Corinne, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to bring you into this, but I'll tell you that I have seen firsthand procurement purgatory, and it seems yes, like I this has been <laughs> this has been the year. And what I mean by that uh, is, you know, there's been so many new procurement platforms that all these companies, especially larger companies, have brought in place, and it's created. I've seen not always, but oftentimes, a lot of confusion, a lot of redundant um, information sharing mm-hmm. of. Private. I mean, this there, there's some security uh, windows of opportunity. I'll call it that. This can create. Now, I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, taking a broad brush and painting across all those procurement platforms. It's all about what I've seen, at least, how you incorporate it into how you do business. There's some companies that do it really well. There are. And then there's there others. Are, and there's some that think they do it really well, <laughs> right. and it's not it's not customer focused, right? right? And <laughs> and I'm sure that's not you know I'm sure that's not what what's being shared here with the digital um, procurement that that Stacey had to say, um, because it really can be life changing for them, right? They get out of the grind and spreadsheets and you know green screens and um, just a, a, a host of of challenges 
to get all that valuable information in one place right. and help make better decisions for their businesses each and every day. So um, I do think that it makes it uh, digital, right? Digital procurement, digital supply chain planning um, really does help with job satisfaction as well. So when we go back to that, um, that, that theme, if you will, of recruiting and retaining talent, giving that talent the tools they need to do the job at the caliber that they want to do and make them feel good about it. I, I think that's a huge opportunity as well. Agreed. And also with, as we're talking about um, uh, some great examples there, I think knowing when to intervene and, you know, we, we, we've seen, especially with some of the, um, the world-class great executing companies when their procurement leaders intervened because a process wasn't going mm -hmm. as it was designed or yep. when when legal counsels understood the nature of of a campaign or a nature of of the data involved and they make common sense adjustments they're still yeah. you know it just brings to my mind uh, once for the <laughs> millionth time humans right as as much technology and ai and machine learning and platforms this and platform that humans still make it all happen so uh, yep. I want to share a couple of things. David says his has been spending time with my daughter, seeing oh, the nice. country and sharing yep. my ventures with all the new friends I've made this year. David, come on, let's see some pictures of, uh, yep. of what you've been up to Peter 25 years in a few months with air Canada. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, Rolene says, uh, we're, as we're sharing great things this year at the organization level, diversity and employee wellness engagement from our leadership has been phenomenal. And Wonderful. a personal goal was to maintain business service levels at pre-COVID performance levels. We maintained and exceeded wow. our fill rate. How about that, Corinne? That is to be celebrated. That is really fantastic. Congratulations to you and your team for achieving that. That's that's wonderful. Agreed. Agreed. So thank you for sharing. And Stacy, this is good stuff here too. I think the confusion comes in going back to procurement, when different people mm -hmm. trying to micromanage a procurement department and di disregard us in the boardrooms, I yep. should say done right is life-changing. That's an excellent point, uh, Stacy. Excellent point. And I appreciate what you do. I appreciate all the, all the great people that make procurement and sourcing um, um, activities happen. Of course, they're integral to how global, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're critical, they're paramount to global supply chain uh, functionality and execution. So I, I should probably plug Dial P here too. If if any of our audience today hasn't listened in to Dial P for procurement, take a listen and you'll get to hear from Kelly Barner and her guests on a regular basis around the procurement process and some of the um, really interesting innovations that are happening in that area. Excellent point, Corinne. Excellent point. And also uh, a little uh, another little plug is uh, Peter mentioned his new venture. He is, uh, he's doing some strategic consulting and probably a lot of it in that procurement space. So y'all check out Peter Bolle and connect with him on LinkedIn and beyond. Okay. Yep. He'll keep it real. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he'll, 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 he'll introduce a, a little inspiration, but he'll, he'll let you know where to, where to spend your time. I love it. That is a good point. And that's what makes Peter special. Hey, uh, feedback is a blessing as always. Well, Hey, again, folks, check out tech talk. Digital Supply Chain Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to be on the lookout for the next episode that will be dropping tomorrow with our friends at M4. Okay. Uh, you know, I didn't create a graphic for it, Corinne, but before we close, I want to make sure folks know how to connect with you. But here, really quick, 
uh, I dove into for this week in business history, which you can also find wherever you get your podcast from. I dove into some things that folks probably didn't know about the Kentucky fried chicken business model and Ben and Jerry's. But what I didn't know, or maybe I'd forgotten that Colonel Sanders, which was no military title. It was an honorific title bestowed upon him by the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And there's been a lot of folks, a lot of Kentucky colonels. In fact, that was a former NBA basketball team because there's been so many Kentucky colonels. Anyway, um, he was so focused and confident in his ability to build a, a, a fried chicken enterprise that in his 60s, before he even landed his first franchise, which was happened to be in, in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, he was traveling the country in his car, sleeping in the back seat because he was he was um, he was living on savings and about 105 bucks in Social Security per month. But he didn't mm-hmm. let his age nor the um, you know any obstacles get in the way. So and once he went once he met Pete Harmon, I think is his name, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they they finalized that first franchisee agreement and partnership. The rest is all history. And and now some 24,000 locations globally, which wouldn't have happened if uh, Mr. One Colonel Sanders wanted the comforts of life rather than whatever it took to make his vision happen. So um, y'all check that out this week in business history. Corinne, um, uh, hopefully you nor I have to sleep in the back seat of our cars. <laughs> any point in time coming up, but how can folks connect with one and only Corinne Bursa? Yeah, I would love it if you would connect with me on LinkedIn. It's a great place. You can also link over to the Tech Talk page in LinkedIn and and see some of the recent episodes there, or you can go to the supplychainnow.com website, which they have a full library. I'm bringing a full circle back to uh, the partnership with Azul Arc, who uh, worked with the team at uh, Supply Chain Now to come up with the current design and make it easy for you to find episodes. So, Scott, I think you said there's over 800 episodes to choose from now. Uh, we're approaching that in the main channel, I believe. I think um, okay. 780, 790, we're close. And then, of course, when you factor in, uh, I'm not sure how many episodes we got for Tech Talk. We, we probably have about 60 with uh, business history. Yep. Uh, 50 or so with veteran voices. I mean, it really, we're uh, layers on top of that. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's exciting. Very good. And that's why that, that's why that search tool is so important. So important. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, speaking of veteran voices, Tony Brown just wrapped up a 30 year career in the military hey. supply and logistics, looking to share his experiences in the civilian sector. Tony, you can't just tease that and, and yeah. take off. Tell us what branch, and, you know, who knows, maybe we can interview you on Veteran Voices and share some of what you saw over a three-decade military career. So thank you for sharing. Uh, and if you also, one other thing, Tony, if you've got a LinkedIn profile, you may be putting some irons in the fire for what's next on the, on the civilian yeah. side. Hey, drop your LinkedIn profile in the comments and we'll see if we can't uh, help, help you make some connections. So that's congratulations. I appreciate what you've done you. and the sacrifices. That's right. Right. All right. We appreciate it. Uh, as always, Amanda's keeping on my toes. Gosh, Seven, he's keeping it real. <laughs> the stats come in. Right. 787 published today with our dear friends at Verison. Great interview with Christine Barnhart, which I know you know, uh, Corinne. Yeah. She joined the Verison I team do. and they are on the move, let me tell you. Uh, and Peter, hey, Peter, <laughs> you're the third star of the show today. Uh, great chat he had with Kelly Barnhart. I love her. 
uh, the Sourcing Hero podcast. Y'all check out that link too. Okay, Corinne, we have, I've got check, 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 check. One last thing I'm going to ask you, and then we're going to sign off. What um, What's one tradition that the Bursa household really enjoys as we get into holiday season here? The Bursa household, the Bursa household enjoys um, just getting together. And, uh, and usually there's a sporting event on the TV <laughs> and there's food involved. For those of you that don't know, I've, I have two adult sons um, and my husband is right in there with them. So, um, and even, even my dog is male. So everything that happens here is, is kind of like a clubhouse. Love it. Um, and so I look forward to that, uh, anytime they're home in town, whatever. So getting, getting excited to, uh, to see them in the, uh, in the days ahead. I love that. Well, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy new year to all, including the Bursa family, including Rex, one of our favorite He's one of the supply chain now mascots. Um, but Hey folks, thanks so much for tuning in here today. Thanks for joining Corinne Bursa and, uh, Corinne Bursa and I on the supply chain buzz. We love getting the comments and experiences and, and, uh, POV y'all drop in the skyboxes. You can find us every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. Yeah, we may take a, a Monday or two off as we get through the holidays, but uh, we're, we'll be back in the new year. On behalf of the entire team, again, big thanks to Amanda and Jada behind the scenes helping to make production happen. Uh, on behalf of all of us, challenging you like we challenge ourselves every single day. Do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Sapache Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.